Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name's Aaron, I'll be hosting today, and we've got a very special guest with us, Kenny Griffin, who is the Georgia Interscholastic Cycling League Director and also the founder of the Chain Buster Race Series down here in the Southeast. I've actually known Kenny for several years, back when the days uh, when he was running Chain Buster. So thanks for joining us, Kenny. Yeah, thanks so much for having me down. Uh, so why don't you, before we get into the Nika stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, the chain buster series that you used to run? Yeah. So back in 2009, my wife and I started and created chain buster productions. I've got a small background in cross country mountain bike racing from age of nine to 14. And I've always had a, a big interest in the business side of things over the years some things worked out for us to start the company, and we had a, a pretty big vision at the time when we started. I didn't know if it was uh, very obtainable, but after some hard work and a little bit of luck and some good people supporting us through the industry, we had uh, some mediocre success and <laughs> you know, created uh, endurance mountain bike races all across the southeast here and, and really enjoyed doing it. Did that for, from 2009 to 2015. And family started building, started having little ones, and decided to get out and transition into the Georgia League. Awesome. That's right. And the Chain Buster series is still going on today, right? You've uh, sold the uh, series? Yeah. So gentleman by the name of uh, Eddie Fryer, who actually is the Idaho League Director um, for NICA, bought the series, bought the company, and has doing, been doing some great things with it. Been getting a lot of great feedback throughout Georgia and Alabama and North Carolina, and he's planning on taking it to the next level. So um, quality's still there at the forefront. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, uh, I, I still do, do a couple chain busters every year, and they're either three- or six-hour events at uh, some pretty fun trails around the region. So let's, uh, let's move into the NICA stuff. So for, for people that don't know, what is NICA, and how does the uh, Georgia Interscholastic Cycling League fit into that NICA framework? So... NICA is the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, and they're based out of Berkeley, California. And they're a nonprofit whose mission is to develop leagues, so to speak, which are also nonprofits in, uh, in every state, coast to coast. And their mission is to enable every American team to develop strong mo- body, mind, and character through the sport of cycling in an inclusive and equal environment. And Think of them as our, our sort of co- corporate governing body, and we get our coach licensing uh, curriculum and a lot of other great things that they do for organizations across the country. So is NICA just mountain biking, or do they also do road cycling? seems like we only hear about NICA in terms of the mountain bike stuff that they're doing. So that's a great question. They're just mountain biking. We are very heavy in, on the risk management front to be able to protect these kids and make the best decisions for them 
and with them through the processes of, of them becoming cyclists. And obviously the trails are a lot, it's a more controlled vi- environment um, versus the road because, as you can imagine, you know, some of these teams are 130 to 150 kids out west, and taking that many kids out on the road is just not feasible. Huh, that's really interesting that road cycling is considered safer than mountain biking. I like it. No, other way around. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool that mountain biking is considered safer than road cycling. Never thought about it that way. Yeah, definitely. So I think we're close to 12,000 student-athletes nationwide now and approximately 4,600 coaches. And Nike is really doing a great job at putting quality at the forefront, and it's it's one of the fastest growing organizations, you know, that uses cycling programs in the country right now. So it's um, it's a very exciting movement to be a part of. That's awesome. So how did you how did you get involved with NICA? So back in the Chainbuster days, my wife and I were very passionate about youth cycling, and we did some things on the three six hour platforms for kids specifically, and it did grow, but. Dan Brooks, our league founder, in 2013 contacted me and told me about NICA. And to be honest, I'd never heard of, heard of them before. And we spent a little time getting more familiar with the programs. And the, you know, the, just the popularity behind the brand and the fast-growing movement um, was a bit of a no-brainer for us to get involved. That's arguably what has made it grow so quickly here in Georgia and, and other states, as you see. Numbers are being broken all the time, you know, state-to-state dependent. But let's just say, for example, four years ago, a state like Georgia formed, and we had roughly 100 kids the first year in our, in our racing program, to be specific. Now, uh, states like Pennsylvania are starting, and we're seeing sort of 500 kids the first year. It's just gaining more and more momentum across across the United States, and, and I think that's due to the national brand and all the hard work that they do, you know, trying to promote it and market it and, and spend a lot of time, you know, with the curriculum internally, youth development-wise. So when Dan Brooks came to me, I had a big race production background, obviously, and, and, and specifically in operations. So we kind of co-launched the Georgia League from the ground up. He took the coach licensing side and the admin side with the nonprofit, and I helped with the other side, and the rest is history. That's awesome. So it sounds like there's uh, there's obviously an appetite for uh, these NICA leagues because, as you said, each one that's introduced seems to break a record for you know a first year league in terms of uh, students involved. So you said there are twelve thousand uh, student athletes nationwide. Um, how many do we have here in Georgia? So Georgia is still experiencing explosive growth, um, and we're doing everything we can to to keep up. It's a great problem to have. This year, we're forecasted to have about 700 to 800 student-athletes across the state of Georgia, and that's uh, comprised of about 45 teams this year and 270 coaches currently. Um, It's hard to tell because if anybody's been in the cycling industry before, registration tends to be sort of last minute trying to change that and drive that surrounding risk management, um, which we do a good job of. But it's still early on. We're about 500 registered in the system right now. But before our first race, which is September the 10th, uh, I think we'll be somewhere between seven and 800, which is another year of almost 100% growth for uh, the fourth year in a row. Wow. So how many, how many of those kids are racing on any given weekend? 
So we historically have a 75% ratio of student-athletes that are registered in, in our programs that choose to participate on the competitive platform in our race series. And it's certainly not mandatory. It's something that we try to encourage. Um, so we have about 25% of kids at the end of the day that don't race. So this year we think we'll be between 500 and 550 racers out there for, for the total day on Sunday. Wow, that's a big, that's a, a pretty big production then, huh? Yeah, there's often a lot of people that come out and are blown away by, by the quality and, and production standards that, that we choose to implement for these kids. I've heard bigger and, and, and more super pro than a, than a World Cup race. I, I can't speak to that because I've never <laughs> been to one. But I can certainly say from a perspective of the Chain Buster days, you know, at our, at our biggest race turnout, we were at like 400, 400 riders at the, the 24 Hours of Georgia, and um, this is times 100 production quality uh, level. And we do that for a couple of reasons. I, you know, you've heard me speak to risk management you know, earlier in our conversations, and um, that's super important to us because it's just such a fragile time between 6th and 12th grade as a, as a child. And you know, we want to make sure that everything that we're doing for these kids is super thought out so that they have a positive athlete experience um, when, they're, when they're on our watch. So you know, to give you an example, we always have a, a very thorough risk management plan, emergency plan, to the tune of nine course marshals, on a four to six mile course, six to eight roving EMTs on bicycles that are, you know, it's, it even gets as detailed as pinpoint at the specific locations that we think uh, are areas of concern for the for the student athletes. Um, so we do these things to help make the decisions for the kids. You know, over signage is overdone, four to five foot snow fencing in in the infield and I always use this funny story you know when a kid is in the seventh grade and he's coming in to take a bottle feed right and he's got all his his friends from school cheering him on and his emotions are flowing high and he's not thinking about where to be in position to to effectively take the bottle hand off and and have a smooth transition to go back out on his next lap so we there there's an art to how many feet wide the course is in those specific locations and signage and flags to indicate the amount of feet they have before they hit the feed zone so it gets it gets very detailed because we want to keep the kids safe and we want them to have a positive experience so um that's why the production's pretty pretty well overdone nice so how are these teams created and organized you said we have you know 45 different teams in georgia if you want to start a team uh how do you go about that so the process is changed and evolved you know since year one and and that's thanks in part to the 4600 coaches across the country um, i always use the ploy don't reinvent the wheel um and and save yourself the time and stress that's a you know is associated with starting a team so we've collected best practices over the years and we now have specific individuals that are identified across the state of georgia and this model is also implemented in every other league across the country. But they've volunteered to be a coach supporter. And that coach supporter supports our coaches, existing coaches, through challenges that they may have. And they also mentor the new team and coach process. So when you start a team, you submit a proposal, basically, that shows who you are, what you're about, 
and you know your philosophy that's at the forefront of this team. That's the most important to us, right? We've got to make sure that these coaches are seeing the same vision of, uh, of teaching and training these kids. Um, we're not about creating the next Olympic athlete. We're about the kid that it's their first time on a bike and introducing them to like a healthy and active lifestyle. And that's, that's what's important. So we want to make sure that we pair that coach and make the right fit with the kids. So there's a, there's a committee internally that scrubs and, and approves those proposals, calls references, and from that point on, you're approximately an hour and a half away from having a team going. You have to go through NICA's coach licensing processes to become a level one, two, or three coach. And basically, as you climb that ladder from one to three, there's uh, more requirements uh, that you have to achieve as far as risk management, philosophy, uh, background checks, stuff like that. So are a lot of the teams organized around like a particular school, or are they a little more loosely affiliated than that? It's a great question. We have uh, about a 30-70 split here in Georgia. 30% of our teams are school-based teams. And they are formed around the schools and in partnership internally with the schools, um, recognized as a, an official club sport. To the extent of some schools provide bus and transportation for coaches and teams, let kids letter that participate in the varsity level, share announcements in the school, and just really altogether supported by the administration there. And those teams, we have seen two, two small models now where team trails have actually been created on uh, school property. And so they just, instead of going home and having parents have to transport them back to school, they just have practice immediately after the school, and it's usually a smaller course, but it provides a, a, a great level of fitness and a, and a platform to teach skills and you know develop physical literacy before these kids go out and compete in a competitive uh, platform. The other teams that form are composite teams is what we refer them to, and they're geographically based. So they're usually identified by the name of a county or a region or, or a small area that recruit from a number of different schools. And that's usually how they start in the organic form of a team. And then our goal is to transition those teams from composite teams to school-based teams. Very cool. Uh, let's talk a little more about the coaches. So who, who, who are the coaches and who can be a coach? Yeah, so first I just want to give huge thanks to our coaches because without our coaches being hands-on and boots on the ground, Georgia League wouldn't be what it is without them. They're, they're the ones making the magic happen. Tuesday nights at practices and, and mentoring these kids and put, putting in the time, they're, again, they're just making the magic happen. I'm very appreciative of everybody involved. Coaches are, 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 are a wide variety of, uh, of people here in Georgia. They can be existing cyclists that have raced for many years. Uh, some aren't necessarily ever been competitive and just like the, the enjoyment of, of riding and hanging out. We also have coaches that have, that have never ridden a bike before our program. And being an existing cyclist doesn't all, automatically merit you, you know, to become a, a great coach, you know, the, the coaches internally within the person and you know, bring specific attributes to the table of philosophy and camaraderie and, and ultimately quality for these kids. Um, you know, you can imagine w one of our core principles is being inclusive. So we have special needs kids that we're inclusive of and 
you know, at the same practice, we also have uh, Gabriel Mendez, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, one of the f- fastest up and coming youth cyclists in the, in the country. Um, so coaches are, take this very seriously and they put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in the quality of their programs at the team level. I'm very appreciative of it. All right. It's Tuesday night. We're at practice, getting ready to do some drills and whatnot. What, uh, what, what does practice look like typically? So think of it sort of as a timeline starting in April and building up to our race program in September. From April 1st to July 1st is what we consider preseason activities. And each team is approved six organized preseason activities, and those are, are, are licensed and insured. So this is the kind of the time where we recruit kids, bring them out, do safety bike checks, stuff like that, make sure that they're set up on the bike and, and safe. So you could consider the preseason activities a practice because they are a, a small version of it. But as you start going through the preseason to July 1st, which is when our regular season starts, practice starts, like you said, on Tuesday night, uh, anywhere from one to three times a week. And they start out with skills and drills. And there's an evaluation period where we give the student-athletes the opportunity to write down their goals. Some of these kids, again, are, are out there for the performance side of things. They want to better their time and strive to be on the podiums. So we would, we would mold a practice schedule a bit different for them than, say, what we refer to as our adventure athletes. Our adventure athletes are out there to have a good time. They're out there to have fun, maybe stop and look at the waterfall, you know, out on mile marker number seven. And we want to give them time and support them to do that too. So everybody can gain fitness and really become to have healthy and active lifestyles through our programs. And um, the practices are structured to, to be able to give them the tools and the skills to develop to be the cyclist that they want to be. So it's not all about competition and winning. It's about... And enjoying mountain biking. Yeah, I always say we're known for for our racing program because it's you know it's it's very popular. But if our organization, Nike and Georgia, are about ten things, number ten is racing. And we want all kids to participate on the teams, whether or not they ever want to get out there and race. This might be a good time to talk about one small thing that we do here in Georgia to accommodate those kids. Is racing is intimidating for a lot of lot of kids and 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 it's intimidating to a lot of adults too i used to deal with the same thing a chain buster we have a program where we'll pair upperclassmen with underclassmen that have never raced before so they'll show up on sunday morning they'll go through their regiment of warming up they'll see what kind of nutrition to eat how they prepare for it we'll also let that student athlete stand in what we call the start shoot where they're five wide and you know a hundred deep um to feel that those emotions that flow when the you know thousand people are standing there cheering for them, so we have a a very high success rate for converting those students that are initially intimidated to a hundred percent. So they always uh, choose to race after that because they see racing's not all about winning; it's about the team. You gotta you gotta contribute to your team. It's a team sport, and on any given day you can score. It's not like football; it's not eleven people playing out there on the field and you know the rest of the 100 kids sit the bench everybody participates everybody scores for the team and that's part of our you know inclusivity and peace for what we stand for that's awesome yeah just 
thinking about standing in a start chute has uh, I'm starting to get some pre-race <laughs> jitters. It's a it's a definitely a love hate feeling, right? So let's talk a little bit more about about the the races themselves. Like what kind of what kind of courses are they? Like what kind of distances are the kids doing? Are there different categories? You know, to like the 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 JV kids race a shorter course or fewer laps, something like that. Yeah, definitely. So I'll start off by saying we're a middle school and high school, and our middle school program is our newest program, six, and that's considered to be sixth through eighth grade. And we structured the middle school program to be a mirror image of the high school program because if you think about it from an educational perspective in short terms, your job as a middle school teacher is to prepare your students to go to high school. And we look at it the same way. So categories are structured sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And our middle school program is the competitive aspect is very de-emphasized because we want to introduce these kids to the sport and we want to retain them. Right. Our main hashtag is get more kids on bikes, but I always say hashtag retain kids on bikes. <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to put this sixth grade kid. Let's just say, for example, he's a natural athlete and we all know on the weekend he can do 30 or 40 miles, which is, which is great. Physically, he might have those capabilities, but mentally and, and maturity-wise, we don't want to put him in an environment that could arguably give him a negative athlete experience and move him up through the ranks too fast. We're, like I said, it's so fragile, such a fragile thing to us that we want, to, we want to err on the side of caution before we roll the dice with any of these kids' lives. So yeah. we don't allow 6th and 7th graders to move categories. It's one lap, four to six miles, which we've assigned to them. It's less than 500 feet of climbing. So it's a very, you know, beginner, moderate style trail that is very appropriate to their aging capabilities. The eighth grade, you know, it's that year just before you go into high school. And we want to give them a little bit more leniency because they're going up to the high school where it tends to be more competitive. Eighth grade, we have a series points. And it's still one lap, but we do let a very, very small percentage of eighth graders that say are the Gabriel Mendezes, where they're just natural athletes and, and capable of doing so much more. We let them petition up to ninth grade. So we'll, we'll allow them to, to jump up one grade level further, and, and then they respectively complete two laps at a four to six mile course. In the high school, it's freshman, sophomore, JV, and varsity, and boys and girls separated out. Boys, don't, boys race with boys, girls race with girls. And varsity completes a total of four laps, JV three laps, sophomore and freshman two. And then on the flip side, the high school girls, they, they do three laps at the varsity level and two laps at the soft, uh, JV sophomore and freshman categories. So there is a bit more leniency at the high school level of jumping up from, say, sort of the freshman category to the varsity category because we want that athlete to be challenged on the number of laps and mileage that they're completing and, and also competing with, uh, with peers that are similar in physical capabilities. Uh, yeah, that's, so that's good. Uh, and I guess there's nothing to, you know, for, for the really gifted athlete, you know, there's also plenty of races outside the, the NICA framework if they, really, you know, if they really have a lot of promise and they really want to go bang bars, they could 
go do a chain buster or go do a Georgia State Championship Series race or something like that too. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big platform that caters to a lot of different skill sets for the kids, and we encourage the fast kids and the kids that are you know going to be up there on the podium to participate in the league because yeah. you're getting so much more than just racing. I mean, we're teaching them how to be responsible young adults through our programs, and you know. When I was 9 through 14 years old and I was out there on the bike, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a, a lot about not giving up and not quitting and committing to, you know, to, to what I committed myself to. And, you know, that's the magic of this program. It, these kids are going to carry these skills into their adult lives, into their careers, into their, you know, if they choose to get married and, and into their marriages. And it's just a great set of core principles that they can take pretty much anywhere um, or onto other sports. And those athletes arguably are great mentors to the lower, the kids that are in lower grade levels. And they have a lot of capability to, to influence a lot of these kids and they look up to them and, and be positive role models. You've mentioned, you know, the points and you're getting points for the team, et cetera. But uh, it's, is, so there's some sort of like championship series or, or something like that. Is there... Um, one championship race or is there like a season overall how does that work yeah so think of each individual category has a point series and that point series basically adds up to to name a state champion within that category at the same time the scoring matrix within our series you achieve a certain level of points based on your category so a varsity rider at the varsity level is going to score more points in first place than, say, a freshman. And your the combination of scores throughout your, your top-scoring athletes, which could be anybody on any given day, right? I mean, if, you're go to, if your normal third-place sophomore boy flats and ends up 13th, bam, you know, the rider in fourth just scored for the team. And, and that can go all the way back to... 12, 13 deep, you know, racing's any given Sunday. So the teams also have an accumulative score for a point series as well. And basically that adds up to the state championship race, which is race number five at the end. And there's a team that's named state champion also. Awesome. So you, you mentioned, you know, there are, uh, you have boys and girls racing. What's the, uh, like, demographic breakdown among that and like how many kids are from high school how many from middle school yeah so one of our main focuses at the at the league level and nationally is more female student athletes on bicycles and we, it, it fluctuates between 19 and 20 percent at the league level and nationally we have a robust women's and and female student athlete outreach program called grit girls riding um, together and trying to increase that number so between the breakdown from high school students to middle school students is honestly very close to 50-50 for us. Um, and that's surprising because some of the leagues, like, say, for example, Colorado, they don't have a middle school program. They're doing everything that they can do to keep up with just the high school growth. Uh, Georgia had the, the possibilities of starting the middle school program in year two. And as you know, cycling on the East Coast is slightly different than cycling on the west coast it's not as popular but the you know the culture is still continuing to grow and we thought it was very important for the middle school to become sort of a feeder program um, 
So, and it's been working, working out very, very well for us. I see in your stats you said we got about 6% varsity athletes. Is that just because it's a, it's a fairly new league, so you haven't quite had you know, the number of athletes come up to the varsity level yet? So remember when I was talking about how important it is to assign the appropriate mileage and, and treat the athletes to be able to retain them and not burn them out very quickly? The varsity level is what we consider our, it's our most challenging and competitive category. And these kids are doing four laps for the boys, three laps for the girls. Uh, a six-mile course, in a worst-case scenario, you're talking about 24 miles. That's a lot of mileage. Yeah, it's, it's a good race no matter who you are. Yeah, and so we want to be very conscientious of who we allow to compete in that category. So on the technical side, there's a category placement table, and it's a fancy formula that basically takes kids' annual results and the top percentage automatically get put into varsity. You can't participate in varsity unless you choose to petition up which is a process that you submit a you submit an application based on race results outside the league race results and you basically make your ploy as a coach and a parent to get this athlete to participate in that that category. What we don't want to happen is we don't want any teams to take advantage of those athletes at scoring for the team and strategically place them there out of sure being competitive and you know again use a child to you know, take advantage of a scoring system. And I can tell you right now, we've never had it happen um, because we, we scrub and evaluate those applications so very closely. Um, we very rarely grant an application up to the varsity category unless they're automatically placed there. Gotcha. Yeah. Georgia's a big-ass state. You know, obviously the Atlanta metro area is, is huge, but uh, we're just one small portion of the of the state here where are most of the teams found are they in kind of near population centers are they kind of dispersed all over the state or or what what do you find our teams have formed naturally around existing trail systems in the beginning and that's what we consider to be low-hanging fruit so the teams have to have a place to practice right yeah and we found a large concentration of teams forming around existing trail systems that focused centrally around the city of Atlanta because it's, you know, arguably, arguably it's the biggest population base within the state. So it just naturally started internally there and then grew out from the suburbs. We do have a model that we've implemented at the national level for, say, for example, an inner city school that doesn't necessarily have the means of transportation to get kids out there. We've developed a, fit, a, a model to use like a soccer field or a football field that allows the kids to develop fitness and skills and still get a good workout in and train and then say, for example, on the weekend, on Saturdays, travel to a destination trail system and get actual single-track riding. So we're just now starting to see teams form in, in the inner-city areas, and to be quite honest, it's, it's been a real big challenge for us to, to support them and, um, and provide resources for them. Jeff, I think uh, you could lead a uh, inner city practice on Tuesday nights, right? Yeah. Well, actually, there is a team that's uh, I think they're called like North DeKalb or something here in the area, and uh, I was creeping on their website and I saw like where they practice, and 
it's some trails that like I had never ridden. So yeah, we incorporated that into our Tuesday night rides. So <laughs> no, yeah, no matter where you are, people are going to find places to ride. And this particular team, they found some really cool places, like some hills that I didn't know exist and, you know, setting up skills courses on power line cuts. And yeah, it's pretty cool to see the people, you know, finding ways to practice. Yeah. One, one of the things when I transitioned from, race director operations to league director um, back in November of 2015, our, I, read, I sat down one day and I read our mission statement. And I said, you know, if we want to stand behind that and, and we really want to apply that, let's go to the most challenging, difficult area in the state and let's start a team. And so I went down to the west side of Atlanta working with uh, the Bearings Bike Shop Group. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys. They a bike mechanic merit system, they're a nonprofit, and partnered with them trying to identify an individual within that community to start a team there. So we, we partnered with uh, some other companies like Team uh, Team Type 1, donated a lot of gear and shoes and, and helmets for us, and there's a lot of individual donors that stepped up to the plate and said that I'll, I'll support that and I'll donate a lot of money to, to be able for those kids to have access to our programs too. So it's been a two-year work in progress. We're trying to find um, a capable and willing individual in, in downtown Atlanta to, to start a team. There's a lot of kids down there that can benefit from it, and that's you know those are arguably kids that need, need programs most. So we're, we're, our efforts right now are are very active and and working hard on trying to make that a reality right because cycling i think as we all know it can be very expensive uh you know it's it's probably a fairly high uh barrier to to entry i mean even uh you know what a lot of us would consider an entry-level race worthy hardtail is a thousand bucks maybe you know and uh, if you're buying something brand new and that's probably out of, out of reach for uh, for for some families, right? It is. It's a it's a huge barrier to entry for the sport, and we take it very seriously. So our our league founder Dan Brooks came to me in the beginning and said, "I never want a kid or coach to be able to not participate in our programs due to financial need or equipment needs." And that's a bold statement. So we've worked very hard since day one. To get sponsor to recruit sponsorships and individual donors um, to be able to build what we call our rider and coach financial aid program and loaner bike programs. Basically, our our rider financial aid and coach financial aid programs pretty self-explanatory. It's an application process where individuals that are in need um, financially apply, and we grant them the funds to be able to register with the league, participate in our race programs, camps, clinics. Um, things of that nature. Uh, we even buy helmets, shoes, gear for kids. Co- on the coaching side, there's a lot of coaches out there that are working, you know, one two jobs and 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 have a family, but they're they're dedicated individuals that want to give back. So we've take those scholarship funds and and put gas in coaches' trucks and 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 help out on the coach licensing side of things too. The loaner bike program is a fleet of 30 bikes that we have. We've uh, accumulated since year one. It's an application process as well, but basically you fill out an application and, and you get a bike. And then through that relationship with the lead coach and student, it teaches that student how to 
responsibly take care of that bike and service it and keep it up and work on it. We hold bike skills clinics to teach the kids more about maintenance in their drivetrain and properly taking care of it so that um, at the end of the season they can give it back to us. Or if they're in a position that, you know, with their family to be able to purchase that bike at the time, we sell it to them for what we bought it for, which is super discounted deal to get through bike manufacturers through the league. And they're able to get sort of a 1000 to $1,500 retail bike for 500 bucks or less. And if they're not in a position to be able to afford that, we roll them into what we call an earn-a-bike program to where we basically connect them with the local trail advocacy groups and they donate a certain amount of trail hours to the trail systems that we all ride and enjoy. Um, and it teaches them how to be good trail stewards. Um, some cool, uh, cool programs that have spun off that. Imba's done a, a Teen Trail Corps program that you'll have to check out and and they ultimately earn the bike i like the sound of that no dig no ride literally <laughs> we, we've talked a lot about the the coaches and the and the and the kids but what about the parents how are they involved so for me this is one of the most moving moving pieces for me being involved in the league the parents are very actively involved and we're creating cyclists not just at the student level, but at the adult level too. So little Johnny gets involved in a local team, gets a bike, starts practice. Well, obviously, mom and dad want to ride too and take them riding on the weekends and outside of practices in the season. So they're buying bikes. And now what you see, and there's hundreds of cases like this, the family that's been to Disney World the last eight years in a row on the same weekend is now going out to to Moab and riding Moab and St. George, Utah, and, and stuff like that. So it's it's really cool and moving to see that healthy and active lifestyle transition into families. And it's it's entering in through the student-athlete, and it's impacting so much more that, quite quite honestly, we're, we're not tracking that data. And we're going to start because it's super powerful. That's awesome. It's awesome to hear. So you said preseason activities start in April? Yep, April 1. Kind of run through the summer, and then the race series itself starts in September. So do you find that there are multi-sport athletes that have conflicts with with other, you know, other sports, other events, that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. The, the, race, the racing program starts up uh, basically the first weekend in September and runs through the first weekend in November. It does conflict with other traditional school sports. Football, cross country. I've been out of high school for a while now, so I can't rattle off that many more. <laughs> I think maybe soccer's in there too, but um, you do see a, a, a large percentage of crossover from kids cross training, and that's what we encourage. I mean, the specialization of sports at such a young age we're 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 not for that. Kids need Good. to be <laughs> kids need to be kids, and you know, there's data coming out right now from the Positive Coaching Alliance where. These recruiters at at the professional level want to see crossover. They they want to see a, a well versed athlete as a center fielder that caught punt returns. And you know these kids are, are encouraged to go do other sports. We usually have great support from like the cross country programs in the schools, telling the kids to go try something else and have fun. And but we do have some conflict with football. Um, because, you know, obviously that's 
taken so seriously here in, in the southeast <laughs> and across the country. Friday Night Lights. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate we do lose a few kids to that, and uh, I think that's um, I think that's a battle that's going to take many years to continue to try to fight. And you know, we don't want to be the sport; we just want to be another platform and opportunity for kids that might necessarily not fit into those traditional sports models. So what do you think the the students find uh, most challenging about the whole NICA or racing experience in general? Well, the, you know, the, the physical aspect of riding a bike for a beginner is tough. It's challenging in the beginning. But they're 6th through 12th grade. I mean, they're, they're young, and it's actually shocking how fast their bodies develop and how awesome – of of uh, and and great athletes that these kids become so quickly, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say the hardest and biggest challenge for these athletes is initially the training piece and getting over the fear of of riding a bike if they haven't. At the same time, the races, you know, again, it's just one program that we offer. It, it's a competitive platform, and being a kid, if you remember being in high school and middle school, you, you got so many emotions running through your body going out there on a competitive platform and being surrounded by peers of of your school and other schools is it's it's a little bit nerve-wracking but as I mentioned before we've got opportunities to break down those barriers and at the end of the day when those kids get out there and they're making friends and they're building community which is so super important to us too not only with their surrounding community you know that surrounds their team or their school but on the north or west side of the state and that's that's one of the again the special parts about cycling for me is that it's just such great people involved in the cycling community and for these kids to be able to network and and build relationships to carry into college and into the workforce i mean heck some of the relationships that i built from nine to 13 years old i've carried on into the business world these days and those are some of the strongest relationships that i have and that's super powerful. We we kind of touched on this earlier, um, talking about some of the 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 barriers. Um, you know, and you said you have the loner bike program. But w- what are what are other barriers, possible barriers for for kids that want to get into the sport? So, some of the things that we've seen is is transportation, based on you know just the the dynamic of the family. We've got we've got people that help out with that, help give rides and, and transport athletes and stuff like that. Other than that, we we usually don't see very much barrier to entry. It if the kids have gotten involved in a sport at a very young age, um, again back to the specialization thing, we do hear from a lot of kids that want to be involved that might not be able to because their coaches tell them not to, and they tell them that mountain biking is a dangerous sport. I mean. To set the record straight, the Georgia League and and NICA is not Red Bull Rampage, okay? (laughs) Uh, These kids aren't aren't doing triples and and creating lines on a two-to-one slope side of the mountain. This is moderate to beginner set-out styled courses. Classic cross-country. Classic cross-country. I mean, we're, we're just introducing these kids to the sport, and... And we're doing it in a very, very thought out and methodical way. And after they leave our programs, to be quite honest, we don't care if they stay mountain bikers. I hope they stay on two wheels and I hope they commute to their jobs or ride cross or 
whatever they choose to do. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, carry that healthy and active lifestyle through to their adult, adult lives. Do you see a lot of pushback from, from coaches in other sports? Well, we did in the beginning, and, you know, it's just it's still so new. I mean, you can go to any local trail system in Georgia, stand there on a Saturday morning, which I do a lot, <laughs> and, and, and pass out flyers, and they've never even heard about us. It's just still so new. We have barely scratched the surface nationally and in the Georgia League. I mean, seven, 800 kids, we're proud to say to say that for sure. But this movement can can grow so much more and impact so many other people out there um, than it has already. And I I definitely say that you'll see that happen for sure. Um, but the reason I went down that road to try to explain that is because a lot of these coaches just don't know about cycling in general. And there's an awareness piece that we're, we continue to try to, to push at the Georgia League level and nationally to try to educate these other coaches from other sports, tell them that it does build good fitness and, and the skills cross over to other sports and keep it fun for these kids. I mean, got the rest of their lives to work and specialize in what, whatever, that, whatever, whatever else they want to do. But right now it's about having fun and you know, developing them and to be responsible young adults. Yeah, I guess it's kind of hard uh, to, to blame coaches from other sports that are unfamiliar with cycling too much because all they see of cycling is probably, you know, the one day a year when you have the Red Bull Rampage recap on NBC and then, you know, maybe Sports Center shows highlights from the Tour de France in the summer, but... It, they're probably just showing crashes, so it, it probably does make it look pretty, uh, pretty dangerous. But I suppose if you just you know showed people breaking their legs playing football, and that was the only highlights, you probably wouldn't want to play football either. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. We're trying to do a better job at that too. Uh, we we've invested a lot of money in the, the production side of videos for our race events and for practices. So we're trying we're trying to get that out there to reach more people and, and to build that awareness piece to, to show them that we're not extreme, an extreme sport. We're, <laughs> we're actually, actually statistically, and this is another conversation itself, but if you look at football and, and the numbers surrounding uh, you know, concussions and injuries, and we're, we're a much less risky sport. Right. So you, you mentioned that, you know, if, if someone goes to the NICA program and they don't end up becoming a mountain biker, that's totally cool with you. But like, what, what is, what is the end game for these student athletes? You know, is this, um, you know, you're hoping for, um, from your side, are you hoping that they get college scholarships? Are they just future mountain bike advocates or just cycling advocates in general? Yeah. So I'll definitely say that at some point in time, we may see, you know, Olympic athletes out of NICA programs, and we already have, actually. So that's Kate gonna, Courtney. Yeah, so that's going <laughs> to that's gonna become more and more and more um, as we continue to grow. So we definitely are sending athletes. I mean, we're inclusive, right? So as, as much time as we spend with that child that's introduced to cycling, we want to create just as much opportunity for that kid that's striving to be on the Olympic mountain bike team. So you'll definitely see those things happening. Kids are going to, to get jobs in the cycling industry. They're, they're going on to, to work in the cycling industry, which is, which is really cool, I think. Um, we need to continue to build this industry as, as much as we can. And they're going on to get scholarships. We're partnered with a number of great schools that 
actively recruit from from NICA teams because we are so focused on so much more than just performance. I mean, I I think I read a stat uh, last week where our average uh, grade point average for a NICA student athlete I think is 3.1, which is better than I was in high school. <laughs> but you know, they they're they're looking at these athletes very closely and, and seeing a lot of value in them and contributing to collegiate cycling teams. We're partnered with SCAD University here in Atlanta. They're building a new cycling team and they're recruiting from our program. And But outside of those that, that want to continue to go to college and cycle, we've seen a huge increase in participation in local races too um, and local rides. Uh, it's, you know, it's Again, it's not about racing. They, these, these local rides I'm seeing have 30, 40 kids in it. And um, that's pretty cool to see that the sport growing from a, an, a younger age. Other than that, again, that outside of NICA, taking taking the healthy and active lifestyle piece into their life is, is the most important. Awesome. I know. Um, I mean, I, I race a lot. You guys know that, and I'm competitive, so I, I know you guys. The the racing is just one part of what you do, but I I I am excited to see you know some of these top level elite athlete athletes like like kate courtney mentioned just won national championships a couple weeks ago up in snowshoe it's uh yeah it's it's cool to see these cross-country riders you know develop at a very high level because you know we we've got aaron gwynn on the downhill side right now just wrecking things which is awesome but uh you know as a country we don't do very well on the uh world cup stage we tend to get smoked by uh What's that guy's name? Nino Scherter. <laughs> I mean, he smokes everybody. But yeah, so it's exciting for me as a as a fan of racing to see this Nike program be so successful and and you know really you know churn out some some top level elite racers. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I might add is back again reflecting on the Chainbuster days. Through all our efforts for youth cycling, we maybe had ten kids, and. We were pretty proud of that, to be honest with you. And now, like the local series, they're seeing 20% of NICA-registered student-athletes participating in these races. That's Those are big numbers. So, you know, to, to see the local and regional races and, and rides and stuff grow as a result of these programs is, is pretty cool to see. Awesome, yeah. And then you probably have the, the parents signing up as well because, like you said, you know, you have – the kids get into it, gets their parents into it, and maybe they start getting competitive and wanting to to battle Bobby's dad. Exactly. <laughs> they they always we always make the joke. I'll be speaking to somebody about Nike or Georgia for the first time, and they'll say, "Man, I wish we had that when I was in high school." And I'm like, "That's funny because that's what the back of our shirts say." <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What are the biggest needs for for the Georgia League specifically, but also? Uh, maybe NICA in general? So I'll speak to NICA first. Um, nationally, uh, there's more and more leagues and, and bids for states to launch leagues coming to the table. Uh, again, we're gaining a lot of momentum and and recognition nationally. So at any given time, we've got four or five bids from states sitting in the hopper. So we need more resources at the national level to raise more money, to be able to expand and scale staff and operations to be able to accommodate those bids and and get them launched there's a lot of momentum behind this right now and now's the time to capitalize on it again i'll just say nike is a nonprofit, so 
that, that needs all the support and help that they can get. Georgia League's a nonprofit as well. We're a volunteer-driven organization to the tune of, like, say, one, for example, one race weekend, we run 130 volunteers over a four-day period just to make it happen. And the quality and standards of race production that we implement are, are expensive. So we need individual donors. Every penny counts. We need people that are passionate about developing the next generation of cyclists to, to come to the table and, and be a part of what we're doing. We've got a place for everybody, regardless of you know, if you're at the coaching level or if you're good at uh, the tech side of things and, uh, and helping manage social network, we, we need all the help we can get. So build volunteers to, to help facilitate more teams and create platforms for these kids to have an opportunity to participate. And you don't need to have a kid in the program to help out, right? No. Ab- any kids at all? Absolutely not, no. We have a large percentage of our volunteer database that, uh, that, that don't even have kids. And a large percentage of those aren't even cyclists. So as far as the community and culture that, that, that this is driving, it's, like I said a couple times so far, it's super moving to see you know, the wide variety of people come together to support what we're doing. And, um, and I think we've just scratched the surface. If people do want to help out or learn more about NICA or the Georgia League, uh, where, where should they go for, for resources on that? So NICA is nationalmtb.org, and the Georgia League is georgiamtb.org. All right. Well, I think that about covers NICA and the Georgia Cycling League uh, specifically. So we want to thank Kenny Griffin for coming out and joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff and Aaron, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So that's all we've got for this week. Uh, again, you know, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, we really uh, would appreciate you going over to iTunes and rating us so more mountain bikers can find us. If you've got any questions, any comments about this show or past shows or you know topics for future shows, be sure to get in touch. You can email me directly, Aaron at singletracks.com. That's A-A-Ron at singletracks.com and uh, we'll uh, maybe answer your questions or put your topic on the air. So that's all we've got for this week. We'll see you next time on the Single Tracks Podcast. Later.